this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Hello, friends. Welcome to another Successful Farming Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Meeker. I'm recording this on June 30th. I was hoping to have this posted this morning, this episode posted this morning. Uh, we've been trying to do Friday mornings regularly, but uh, we missed missed that. I've been busy. I was at the Farm Her conference on Tuesday, and then I had some other stuff going on Wednesday, and then just kind of got uh, behind on a couple other things and had to push this back a little bit. I always start these intros without really preparing what I'm going to say and then end up having to kind of talk off the top of my head, which I'm not that good at. But anyway, we will uh, soldier on because we're already behind. So got to make up for lost time. want to encourage you to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes or Google Play Store, whatever, whatever podcasting app and software you use, make sure you subscribe to us so that you never miss a show. You can visit us on the web at agriculture.com slash podcast to see past episodes and to get more information. The show notes for for this show will be there um, if I write some. <laughs> also, you can email me by emailing podcast at agriculture.com and that email comes straight to me. So, And also, when you subscribe in iTunes, write a comment. Give us a review. That's always helpful. Um... You can also follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Jason Meeker. The Successful Farming official Twitter handle is at Successful Farm. So that one's good too, I guess. Today we've got a great interview. I learned about this person because I was judging some web videos for a professional development organization that I used to be a member of. Uh, Iowa State University did a video uh, profile of Laura Maney a few months ago and I watched the video and was really intrigued and reached out and asked if she would do an episode of the podcast. Of course, it was right at the beginning of planting season when I asked (laughs) and she said, I would love to do an interview, but can it be later? And I said, of course. So Laura Maney is a farmer from southern Minnesota, about two hours south of Minneapolis, a little outside a little town called Rose Creek, Minnesota. And I spoke to her recently, and um, here's that interview. Welcome back to the Successful Farming Podcast. Today, we're talking to Laura Maney from Minnesota. She's a farmer in Minnesota. Uh, go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience and just tell us a little bit about your background. Hi, I am Laura Maney. I'm uh, a farmer in sou- southeastern Minnesota, uh, not too far from Austin and Rochester. Um, I grew up on the farm. We had just row crops. 
of corn, soybeans, sweet corn, and sweet peas when I was younger. And then the older I got, the more animals we got and the more, um, I don't know, adventurous we got. And then I went off to school at Iowa State University, and I just graduated in December, actually, um, with double majors in public service and administration and agriculture. And then my secondary major was international agriculture. Um, and I've since moved back to the farm, and this is my first season farming um, by myself. So, tell, tell us a little bit about uh, growing up on the farm. You had, uh, you have two sisters, is that correct? That is correct. I am the middle child. I have an older sister who's currently residing out in Seattle. She's pursuing a second master's degree, this one in ed- education, and then my younger sister is just going to start her senior year um, in high school this fall. So we've uh, been really close. Uh, growing up and um, it's <laughs> I laugh uh, because I didn't have any neighbors that were my age that were in a close proximity to biking so uh, my sisters were my best friends growing up and mm-hmm. we still remain close even though we haven't lived in close close proximity since we were under the same roof but um, I uh, I <laughs> love the farm and I love everything about country living and uh, I'm pleased to be back on the farm for that matter Um, as well. Okay. Now growing up, did you always intend to to go into farming or did you have other career paths in mind before you decided to go into farming? Um, You know, as many women who were involved in agriculture, I wanted to be a vet. (laughs) (laughs) So when I uh, went to school, I was a pre-vet major and it took me about a whole one day at Iowa State to realize that that's not what I wanted to be. And so it took a, a couple uh, a couple of years to figure out my direct career path, but I always knew I wanted to be involved in agriculture. Um, I am very passionate for it. And I watched um, my generations before me, my parents and all of their friends be farmers. And I knew that I wanted to have some um, aspect in agriculture, whether it be on the farm or not. Okay, great. So at, I, you said you started in, in pre-vet for a, a day. <laughs> um, you, Tell us about any animal experiences you had growing up. Um, you said at first it was mostly row crops and, and peas and beans. And did you have animals? Yeah. So we did have um, a finisher um, when I was really little and then uh, of, or for pigs. And then when I was uh, younger, we got a hog nursery. And that's actually how I helped pay for my um, education was that I got to learn how to work in the pig barn. And since then, we've sold that. But when I was younger... Um, I was an animal lover and I was very adamant. Um, I always wanted a horse again, like every stereotypical farm girl, but instead I brought home a llama. And I think that's at that point that my parents knew that I was a handful because I had, I'd bought a llama with my own money that I'd saved up. I was in eighth grade at the time and I figured out one of my mom's friends that I could board the llama at. And if I did chores a certain number of times a week and the fee for boarding and and I had it all worked out. And so before my mom could even say no, I said, well, it's all done. It's <laughs> So at eighth grade, I think they knew that they were going to be in for a whirlwind. And so we went from one llama to now I, we're going to have 22 by the end of the summer um, with all the babies that are going to be born. And we've got now dairy goats that we milk and we show them and market lambs and rabbits. And so we just have our hands full with a, like our own little niche market. And I just got chicks and so I'm starting my own layers and broilers and um i i (laughs) i just think there's never too much to try and if i don't like it there's next year i don't have to do it but i might as well give it you know as much best a shot i can have and so we now have a wide variety of animals at our farm (laughs) very diversified sounds like 
Yes, yes. Um, so at Iowa State, and uh, you you mentioned um, to me earlier that you've done some traveling, but I'm I'm particularly interested in the trip you took while you were at Iowa State. Tell tell us about that a little bit. So I <laughs> I got lucky and I was fortunate that um, I've always loved to travel, and at Iowa State. Um, within the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences, every two years, they offer a three-week trip to Antarctica. And I applied, and um, I got in, and I hadn't even told my mom or dad that I was that I applied for the trip. And I was hesitant to go because it's so far away, and it's such an unknown land. But at the same time, there's so few people who get to go down to Antarctica. And so I spent um, almost three weeks uh, traveling just around the peninsula of Antarctica. So I didn't hardly touch, you know, the vast land that it is, but I got to see penguins and seals and whales up close and personal in their natural habitat. And I got to see the vast beauty that Antarctica has to offer alongside researchers who've been there time and time again. And they've been documenting the paths of penguins and they've been monitoring, monitoring um, the ice melting and everything like that. So it's um, a trip of a lifetime, in all honesty, through Iowa State, and I got to see one of the places that so few people in the world ever get to experience. And if I were to go down again, I'm sh- it's I wouldn't see the same thing because Antarctica is ever changing. The mountains keep growing or shrinking depending on where they're at, and um, you you can't land in every um, every different island. And so I was very blessed with the opportunity to go down there for three weeks, even though I learned on that trip how. Uh, seasick I am and oh, maybe wow. oh, boats no. are not for me that's that's uh, probably a, not the place to learn that <laughs> yeah <laughs> anyway um so that that's that's yeah not a lot of people get to go get to say they've no they've not been at to all. Antarctica so that's that that's really amazing so um while you were at Iowa State you had some um some changes in your family uh, tell us a little bit about September 5th of last year. Um, on September 5th, I was actually on my way home from the Minnesota State Fair where my sister was showing uh, market lamps for um, FFA. And when I had received a call from one of our um, neighbors that my dad, um, they had found my dad and he passed away. And um, I turned immediately right around and I head back to the farm. Um, I, I My life was... Um, just shook up. I, it's hard to explain that day how I go from one of my things that I'm most passionate about and showing livestock and being around agriculture to coming home to know that nothing will be the same ever again. Um, and so, um, I think it, by the end of that night on September 5th, I had decided that I was going to graduate early and I was going to move home. And I think I was told by, Oh, a hundred people over the next, the course of the next couple of days and the funeral that I didn't have to come home. I didn't have to come to the farm. And there was even some farmers who were, you know, quick to say that like they would buy the land from us and they would take it away. And, but at the same time, I was like, this is what I've always wanted to do. It's just jump starting it, you know, almost 20 years that I'm moving home. Right. And, um, but I knew right at that moment that that's what I was supposed to do. And that's what I wanted to do. And so here I am today. Yeah. Wow. So, so that it, your father's death was completely unexpected. It wasn't. Yeah. He died of a heart attack and, um, he wasn't the healthiest man, but at the same time there was no warning signs. Right. Um, and so I think that makes it 
it's, it's hard. Death is hard no matter what, Mm -hmm. but when it's something so out of the blue, it's, it's hard to come by. That's, that's for sure. And it took a long time to process and I'm still processing it now every day. So, yeah. So you knew before that though, that you wanted to come back to the farm. And so there, (laughs) so there was a plan in place you with your, your parents, Yes. Um, you know, it's been an open conversation with my family and we're, I was, and I often say that I was very fortunate that me coming back to the the farm was not a surprise to anyone. Um, but they knew that it wasn't anything that I wanted to do right away. They, they were my parents, I have to say, I, I commend them a lot is that they have three daughters who are very ambitious and they didn't want us to feel obligated to come back to the farm if at all. Mm -hmm. And I always knew I wanted to, but I, at the time wanted to do, um, go work in the city, go travel somewhere, do something else and, and then come back to rural community in a local area. But, uh, I'm going to walk outside, (laughs) but, uh, it, um, it, my parents had in place it and within 20 years I'd move back and I'd take over the farm and, uh, Fortunately, I known that, and it was easy to slowly transition the twenty years to six months. Right. So, so you um, you decided to finish school early. How how did that how was was that difficult to get everything done and still graduate? <laughs> Surprisingly, no. Um, I was pretty ambitious in high school. I've always been um, a little. Uh, ahead of the game. And so I was able to take a lot of college classes while I was still in high school. And so going into college, um, even though I've changed my major seven times, I was still able to stay above the rest because I was taking 20 credits a semester plus some classes in the summer. And, and so I was able to actually graduate the semester at the end of my third year. Um, and I opted to stay, you know, longer to, you know, I did not give up my youth anytime sooner because as soon as I was done, that's, I mean, I have to be an adult and, but so it was actually a lot easier. I was staying in school to add a couple minors, but, uh, I don't regret the decision to, uh, end school earlier. I was ready to be done. And so, um, I miss it actually right now. I miss learning. I miss a formal setting, setting of learning. It's a lot harder to learn on your own than it is to learn when you're told what to learn. <laughs> right. Wow. And yeah, I'd never thought about it that way, but yeah, the hands-on learning um, yes, can be can be a struggle. Um, so, I wanted to have have you kind of talk about the su- secession planning, and um, if you had any insights. Obviously, your situation was extremely unique. Um, although know, every situation is is unique when it comes to. Yes, I, I uh, have learned a lot more about secession planning, um, actually, since my dad's passed away, uh, about how much more prepared we could have been. Uh, there, there's just so many unknowns, and it's it's hard to decide. And I ask my mom now what would have happened if, you know, if we would have been 20 years in the future and they both would have passed away and how it would have been divided between my sisters and myself. And, and it comes into question because my grandpa, my dad's father, is still living, and he still has. Um, four children left at, with his um, almost 300 acres and how that's divided out. And it's hard. It's hard to know what's what's fair and what's equal and the difference between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and luckily, and I, I say it enough to my sisters that I'm thankful for them to have an open conversation 
and to recognize that it's not what is going to happen when, my, when we're planning for the future now with just with my mom's ground is that what is going to happen if I'm the only one that's going to be on the farm, it's not going to be equal, but I'm going to try to make it as fair as possible for us because they, and I'm fortunate enough because they know that they want the land to stay in the family as long as possible, even if that means that um, the way it's divided um, is not as um, fair or, or equal, I should say, as their part. And um, I see it a lot in the communities and I know talking to other farmers that their families and their succession plan is not is not planned out. There's nothing in place and it's hard and it, and there's a lot of discrepancy when, um, you know, the day comes that decisions have to be made and everything has to be split. And so um, I tell people time and time again that you can never be too prepared because we were sure not prepared. But <laughs> thankfully, we'd had discussions before. So, yeah, and that's got to be really difficult when there are siblings and one or or more of them do not want to return but to the farm, but one or more do. And right. how do you, like you said, how do you, you're, it's impossible to make it equal, but how do you make it fair? So um, does your younger, you said your older sister is, is still in school getting a, a, another master's degree. Is your younger sister, does she have an, any idea what she wants to do when she's? <laughs> uh, it's funny because I was this. I decided by my junior year of high school exactly where I wanted to go to school. My close proximity of my career path, and my older sister was the same way. My younger sister, she has uh, endless amount of doors that are open for her. And right now, um, she does not have a school set and pick, but she knows she wants to be involved in agriculture. But she doesn't think she wants to come back to the farm. But okay. the option. I, I make it known, and my mom makes it known that if she wants to come back to the farm, we will make it work. We can add diversity somehow, and we will make it a profitable to have you know her come back to the farm. And which is reassuring to me because I don't want it to make it seem that they can't come back or the option's not available, um, and that we'll find a way to make it work. Yeah, yeah, that's that. I, th- I think that's important. What would you um, you you mentioned advice that you would give is that you can never be too prepared. Um, do you, do you have any other insights as far as how to get that conversation started? Cause a, a lot of, a lot of the, uh, uh, experts we talk to for in successful farming in the magazine, uh, and on the website that are, it, try to encourage these conversations to happen because if they don't, then nobody, nobody really knows how, what I, what the people wanted and and the hard part is getting the conversation started that's that's the truth the hardest part is starting the conversation is breaking that barrier of you know it's such a su- sore subject to talk about it, no one wants to talk about when the end it, it when the end happens and um the the best advice that i have and i've learned through you know watching other people's in my own family that you have to just start mentioning it you don't want to have that conversation, you know, over a female, you want to have it at a separate time, but to just start getting the ideas rolling, you want to just slowly just be like, at some point, we're going to have to talk about this or, um, you know, just start mentioning or hinting cues and then setting a time and then separating yourself away during, you know, you go out to dinner or something like that. That's what we ended up doing is that we picked, 
you know, a month in advance that we were coming home and we're going to have just a dinner out at a restaurant. And we just brought our ideas to the table. And so it wasn't the most found, like, set in stone plan, but it was when we could all get our ideas out on the table and then we could leave. And then we all had an idea of what the other people were thinking. And I think that was helped break the ice between my family alone immensely because I realized what my sister's plans were, my dad's plans were, what their goals were for the farm as well. So great. Yeah. That's, that's really, um, that's really important for people to have in mind that just knowing what people's expectations are and, and rather right. than assuming that somebody might is definitely coming back or is definitely not coming back. They might like, um, right. Like in your mind, you were going to maybe get a, a job in the city and try something else for a little while, but with the intention of coming back at some point, whereas yep. if you hadn't had that conversation, it might've been, well, I guess she's, she's got her career and that's, that's that. But you, you had something else in mind. So exactly. So let's talk a little bit about, um, this was your first season as the, the lead, I guess, decision maker. Um, you, you you work with your mom pretty closely. It sounds like talk yes, about, talk yes. about that, how that works. Um, you know, I have been around to the farm my enti- entire life, but I've never been around the decision making part. And boy, was I oblivious to a lot of, you know, big decisions that farmers make and how tough those decisions are. And I often joke, I don't understand how people could ever gamble or go to a casino again because I gamble my life every time I make a decision around the farm. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's been it's been adventurous. And um, right now I have no complaints. We've gotten a couple days of nice rain and now it's hot and sunny again. And so right now I look outside and I can see um, some soybeans pop or like they're all popped out of the ground and, and it's a nice feeling. Um, I think when my sweet corn, which was my first crop that was planted, um, came out of the ground, I think I, I like had to take a million and two pictures because I was just so, <laughs> I was so proud yeah, of myself. I, I can't even, yeah, <laughs> I would be too. I, um, that's... And and then I laugh because, I mean, farmers have been doing this since time has begun. And here I am so proud of myself because I had some sweet corn that popped out of the ground. <laughs> and it's not even that pretty. It, it just was out of the ground. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I, uh, it, it's everything. I, I guess I'm going to take a step back. I'm very right. thankful for having a mom who was around the farm herself as a, as a child, as an only child. She was hands on the farm and then she married a farmer and again was right in the field when she needed to be and on the books. And so I have the best mentor that I could ever ask for because she, you know, will take my criticism. She'll take, give me criticism she will, you know, be my biggest cheerleader and she's been just a great, um, you know, as I said, mentor along this first year path. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, this year I'm just farming my grandpa's land um, and we decided to rent out, rent out our, my, my mom and dad's land and this first year, just so I could get my feet wet a little bit. Okay. And then this next year, I'm going to probably farm both my mom's land and my grandpa's land again. And so I'll double in size between this year and next year. And that's, um, intimidating and daunting, but at the same time, it's very, um, cool to know that my mom and I are going to be farming, um, side by side this next coming year. And not, um, anyone that I know of has that opportunity, um, to be, I mean, I'm 22 and my mom is 50 and, you know, to be side by side in the field working and making decisions at the same time. Um, and so, yeah, that's, it's just a great, 
cool experience for me. Yeah. So, um, so when, when, when your dad died, how, f- that was September. So how did, har- what was harvest like last year on your farm? Um, unfortunately I was not able to come home very much due to school, school. conflicts and everything like that. But that's when I really realized how great the members of the community are and how many of them stepped in and helped get the crop out. And, you know, one farmer would be like, oh, I can come down and combine the field. And he would call up a couple of friends and they would take the truckloads to town and they would get rid of it. And it was it was just very humbling to know that there was support there. And, um, you know, there's as much gripe as, you know, some people get for not being, you know, helpful, but there's, I, I learned how many loyal farmers there were in the community to make sure that they didn't see, you know, a, another community member in need struggling so bad. And so that was just a great experience to be able to, you know, know that I didn't have to worry while I was at school, that things weren't getting done and that I didn't have to be at two places at once all the time. Yeah, that's, 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 um, a good thing to keep in mind is just how, um, even though sometimes farmers can, can feel like, well, my neighbors are, you're competing for the same, um, rental ground maybe, or competing in different areas, but you're still a community and you're still, um, there, there's still people out there that, uh, want you want to see you succeed. Right. That's exactly how I felt. Great. So talk a little bit about planting this year. How did, how did that go? Your first, your first time out? Um, you know, looking back now that it's all done and I can smile and know that I didn't have to replant anything. (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, realized that it's, you know, a guessing game and I watch farmers and I'm pretty close with my agronomist. And so I get to, you know, hear his stories and listen to other people's stories, but it's hard. It's, to know um, if you're doing, if you're planting at the right time, if you're planting too early, if you're going to include too close to a storm, it's, I, I don't know how I, I, this is such a stressful job, (laughs) but uh, it's, it was successful. I I have to say, I think I got pretty lucky. My beans didn't get in until the first weekend in June. And originally I was so nervous. I was one of the last people in my township to get my beans in the ground. And I was, so worried, you know, I don't like to be the talk of the town in a bad way. And all of a sudden, I think I got lucky because I was watching my neighbors replanting their beans the same time I was originally planting my beans. And it rained that weekend and they shot up and they're not far behind everyone else's. And, and, and that's not always going to be the case. Some days, next year, maybe I'll be too early and I, you know, I had the other end of the sick, but I, I, this year I'm pleased and I'm glad that planning's all done. I was out in the field earlier today spraying my sweet corn, my post spray. And, um, it's, uh, it's a lifestyle that I'm pleased. It's hard hours, it's long days, but at the same time, I've never felt so, um, rewarded for the work that I've been putting in, especially when I walk the fields and I can see, you know, how good my stand is looking and, and everything like that. And I don't, <laughs> I just can't imagine, you know, living a different life than what I'm doing right now and being able to be outside and work, um, even as exhausting as it is and stressful that it's, it's 
so far this first year, it's been good. <laughs> great. That's great. So you said you've got sweet corn and beans. Yep. And that's, that's just it this year. Just sweet corn and soybeans this year. Okay. So it's just part of a regular rotation. Yep. Okay. Um, what other, what, uh, sort of technologies, um, other kinds of maybe techniques do you use? Do you use, um, any kind of new high tech farming techniques or? Um, so this year, um, the farmer that I'm, uh, he's helping me, he's being like a mentor, uh, and I'm getting to use his equipment and I'm helping him as well. He, uh, started, uh, you know, he's just helped give, give me different options. He's very big on cover crops and okay. I'm learning all, all that a different aspect. My dad had previously not done any of that. Um, um, not that it was something he was against. It's something that he just didn't know as far, um, as much about. And so, um, I'm learning, uh, all the different options and I think I'm researching, you know, how to start getting into cover crops in my area. And I'm not opposed to, you know, starting new techniques. And I did, um, strip till and a lot of, uh, and some no till as well, actually, just because, um, <laughs> uh, both, uh, the time constraints and uh, money constraints for that matter as being a first year, first young farmer. Um, but as well as I, uh, I, tr I want to be a stewardess to the land because this land, um, the land that I'm farming on has been uh, in my family, my dad's family since the civil war. And so it's important to me to maintain the ground, um, and keep it, uh, the longevity of it as long as possible. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was something I wanted to talk about was how long the, the farm had been in your, in your family. And so I'm glad you yeah, brought that my, up. Uh, my great, 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 I think something like that. Grandpa uh, fought in the civil war and his uh, prize or, you know, thank you for fighting in the civil war was he could pick out a parcel of land and he picked it out from the railroad. So no one's ever farmed it before my, how many great grandpas did. And Wow. And it's been the property that my grandpa and grandma are living on has only ever been lived on by Manies. And so that's like, I take pride in that. Um, and both on both sides of the family, uh, I have family members who are farming the land that's only ever been in the family. And that's um, exciting to me to know that it's in my blood um, and uh, <laughs> that the, my gener the generations before me cared this much about farming as I do. Yeah, for sure. So um, I wanted to talk about some of the other activities that you're involved in. Um, when we were setting up this this interview, you said you had some some practices that you're uh, you're doing some coaching. Uh, yep, I <laughs> I've stayed busy my whole life, um, and so I don't. When I moved back home, it naturally just fell back into place. I um, I do coach a 17 year old soccer team, a girl soccer team, and so um, right now is our busy season with practices uh, three to four times a week and games. You know, usually the other nights and our distance is pretty far that we travel. And so that's been rewarding to me um, because I've grown up playing sports and to give, be able to give back in that aspect. And I also um, am actually actively involved um, as a church or as a 4-H mentor. And so I um, go back to the meetings. And so it's uh, humbling to me to, you know, give back to the organizations that were very important to me when I was growing up and helped shape me to who I am. And so 
um, it's only it only seemed natural for me to fall back in place as a in a leadership role and a volunteer position. Yeah. So you you mentioned uh, being involved in 4-H, and I'm guessing you were involved growing up in, yes. in 4-H. <laughs> and uh, how about F- FFA? Did you do FFA also, or? Yep, I did. I was uh, involved in both, uh, but I was definitely out of the two. Um, uh, 4-H uh, captivated me, um, and I was very involved, and I held positions in the county, the statewide, um, and then actually in the national level as well. And so I stayed very involved, and um, it was important to me to be able to give back because I grew as a leader and as a person so much more through 4-H, and it's really um, taught me a lot of the life lessons that I now um, use today. So, so let's talk about... Um... I wanted to have you let you talk about the importance of since we're talking about 4-H and, and FFA and, and young people um, kind of keeping young people interested in agriculture and um, maybe encouraging them to think about agriculture as a career and staying in in staying close to, to their family farm and, and stuff like that. Talk about how important that is to you and, and why. Um, I, I, I fullheartedly promote young, young people in agriculture. I think it is getting harder and harder to entice young people to come back to rural communities to stay within agriculture when there's so many other opportunities that are opening up among the world. But I think 4-H and FFA and other youth organizations do a great job or they're, they're really improving their aspects to, you know, captivate um, the attention of young people about how good and how much agriculture is transforming. Um, I have I met multiple and countless people at Iowa State that are um, going into so many different career paths through agriculture because of agriculture. They're, they're working, you can, and it's not just about going back to the farm now and agriculture. It's about, you know, going to work in big cities is marketing and, you know, really promoting, you know, what farmers of all types are doing nowadays. And um, getting op- opening the door of communication between rural communities and agriculture-based communities um, and those who've never been able to experience what farmers are doing and doing well at their job. And um, I just, um, I think that it's exciting time for agriculture and that there's a lot of possibilities for young people to get involved. Um, and as much as I promote young people coming back to the farm, that's not for everyone. Um, and it's, but it's definitely important for those people to be involved in or to anyone to be involved in agriculture and know where your food's coming from and being able to have an open conversation with um, farmers. Well, yeah, and that you make a great point that it's not for everyone. But if if they're if if they're um, exposed to it, there's so much opportunity in all different areas. I think probably a lot of urban people assume that agriculture is not a high tech industry, but really it's, it's extremely high tech. So if you're interested in, in technology, if you're interested in computers, if you're interested in, in uh, journalism, I mean, that's, that's the kind of the path I took. Uh, I'm not involved directly in production agriculture, obviously, but it's (laughs) it's very, you know, I'm, I'm close to it and I I get the opportunity to talk to nice people like you uh, from time to time and, and learn more about it. So there's just so much uh, diverse opportunity in agriculture that I think if people can see that, that, that it increases the chance that they might find something 
somewhere where they could fit. Right. I, I think you bring up, I mean, a good point. And I, as I said before, it's just an exciting time for agriculture that, you know, we've got a lot of urban farms that are popping up and, you know, it's, there's becoming a separation between different types of farming and that shouldn't be the point. It should be the point of how cool agriculture is becoming in general and how much more possible it is to get good food out to people and, you know, the hard work that any type of farmer is putting into their field. And it's, it's really cool. I mean, and awesome to see all the technology that is being put in place of all different types of technology to make the best possible food for the growing population of the world. Yeah, for sure. So it's definitely been a um, life altering year for you this, the last nine or so months. Uh, you've talked about your, your mom and you talked about your sisters and you talked about some of the, some of the folks from, from your area, the other farmers that, that live around you in your neighborhood. Um, what other, what other people or groups have you leaned on to kind of get you through to, uh, to kind of help inspire you and uplift you when, when maybe you've, you know, to share your successes and share some of your hardships with? You know, um, I've really had to go back on my faith, um, this past year and, uh, really rely on that everything happens for a reason and not, um, not live each day with a lot of hatred and sorrow and as easy it is to get angry about the, you know, things, circumstances that are happening and things not going your way. Um, I've really had to, you know, come to realize that the more you live your life and, and you being upset and angry and, um, the, the less that you're going to ever get out of life. And I've, um, became much more of a positive person and really not taken a day for granted the last nine months. And, um, I really come to, um, I've worked a lot harder on maintaining relationships with my family and friends and, um, letting those who are important to me know that they're important to me and how thankful I am to have them in my lives. Because if anything's happened in the last nine months, and there's a lot that's happened. Uh, it's made me realize that the, the support that you have and the people that you have in your lives are the the the, the, the people who are going to get you up in the morning, and they're the reason you're going to want to keep fighting each day, no matter how much is going wrong. And uh, I've had to, um, I've had a lot of bad days, but for every bad day, there's been so many more good days and good moments. And um, I really have to. Um, you know, thank the man upstairs for helping me through this because it's not easy. And, um, and I know my, my story is not the only one out there. It's not, it's unique, but at the same time, so many, um, people lose people unexpectedly every day. And you, I mean, everyone has a different reason for, for, you know, getting up in the morning, but I've always remained positive and I've learned that the happy you are and the, the most good you can find is the the way you're going to feel or you're, the way you're going to get better every day. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think I, I think I just have one last question. It's kind of a two part question. So okay. um, outside of obviously losing a father that you loved, what's been the hardest thing uh, about um, becoming, taking over your family's farm and what's been the most rewarding so far? Um, you know, I think the hardest thing is that I have this big, um, fear, I would say of letting those around me down that I have built such high expectations up for myself 
Um, and, you know, and I, and I act very confident and very proud of what's going on, but I, I am so fearful that things are going to go wrong. And that's the industry that we live in is that the unexpected happens all the time. And it's, uh, it's challenging for me to remain, um, optimistic that, you know, it's, there's good years, there's bad years, there's good days, there's good bad days, but I'm so fearful that I'm going to let, you know, my grandpa down and my dad who's watching down on me or my mom even that I'm not going to do a good enough job. But at the same time, I'll flip that. It's been very rewarding because being back in the community for six months now, I've had numerous um, farmers and just rural community members um, tell me that it's so exciting to see a young person who's passionate come back. And um, it's rewarding. It's it's so humbling to know that it's appreciated and it's not going unnoticed, that it's, um, it's great to see young people back in the community who are excited about the local school systems they're excited about you know preserving you know the 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 local community that it is um because they're so it's so hard to find people who are excited to come back uh, again and it's been very rewarding to know that it's the work i've been putting in has not been unnoticed thus far so great great well it, it's been a lot of fun talking to you and, and hearing your story and um hopefully uh we'll get a chance to uh talk again soon and kind of check in and see how how things are progressing up there in in minnesota with your with with your farm and uh just appreciate you uh talking to us well thanks for uh talking to me i love sharing my story but it's really exciting to uh to let others know that young people have a place back in the farm and i like to talk about my story great thanks thank you Thanks again to Laura Maney for, for doing that interview. What a great inspirational story of overcoming difficult situation, doing what needed to be done, and um, figuring out how, how to accomplish your goals. Just a very, very inspiring story. We'll be excited to hear more from her in the future. I'm sure we will. Uh, she's going to be, uh, be someone to watch. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. Make sure you subscribe in your favorite podcasting app. And as always, make sure you uh, check us out on the web, agriculture.com slash podcast. You can also follow me on Twitter, Jason Meeker, at Jason Meeker on Twitter. Successful Farming's Twitter handle is at Successful Farm. And uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.